let's begin by reading the passage here. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I hope that you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that, you, that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different, God, different Jesus than the one we preached, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. That uh, is today's passage that we're going to jump in, and uh, like you said, we are working our way through Corinthians uh, this series. Thank you, Bobby. Very good. Sure, that's great, right there. Yeah, meant to do this during a video break, but here we go. Uh, we are talking about truth and spending the, these few weeks talking about this idea of truth and, and uh, the implications of truth in our life. We believe in the truth of the gospel. What does that mean? What, how does it change things for us? And today we're asking and kind of answering this question of, how do we follow truth when we live in a world where truth is relative? Truth is subjective and adaptive and personal to each person or group that you come in contact with. So how do I follow truth in that way? It's kind of like with uh, the game Pac-Man, right? Pac-Man, at one point you're chasing ghosts. Oh, get away from them, get away from them, and then you eat a cookie. Oh, no, now we can go after the ghost. Now we can chase the ghost, and it's kind of confusing, and as a kid, I remember, that's a very difficult game, because it's like, now I get the ghost? No, I just go eat the cookies? Do I go, or do I avoid them? And, and with truth, today, truth is kind of like that. Do I believe this now? Is this accurate, or is this what I believe, or no, do I believe this? Is this true? What do we do now? Is this how we go about living? And, and, and Asking ourselves, how do I identify as a Christian in a world where that can mean so many different things? Think about it. If somebody finds out you love Jesus and you go to church, that has a lot of different implications and, and, and points of reference for them. And so how do we say, yes, I'm a believer in the truth of the gospel in a world where truth is changing and relative to the person and adapting and so today we're looking at these, these few verses. We're going to really just dig in on those uh, for a little bit. And verse 1, I love where Paul starts. He's just saying, hey, can you give me a moment? Right? Verse 1 uh, of chapter 11, he says, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. Right? And, and you picture Paul writing this, and, and he's been hearing these stories of the Corinthian church, and he's just saying, hey, guys, for a moment... Will, will you let me just write some more and, and, and share some of my thoughts? Will you, will you give me a moment here? Let me share. And, and Which is ironic because they have allowed all these other false teachers into their sphere of influence and given them moments. They bear with them and they listen to them and allow them to kind of get their message across, even though it might be a different Jesus. And yet Paul has to sit, sit here and say, hey, let's set the record straight a little bit, but will you put up with me? Will you bear with me for just a moment, right? It's very fitting that it's Mother's Day and we're making this point, right? How many moms in the room had to tell their kids at some point, will you just bear with me for one second? I remember as a child, my mother, uh, I, was, I was young, I was, uh, it was before, uh, 
it was before I started to think she was an idiot. And she told me, she said, you're going to think I'm an idiot. And I was like, no, mom, I love you. You're the best ever. And she's like, no, no, you're going you're gonna to think you're better than me and you know everything. And uh, any advice I give you, you're going to think is foolish, right? How many moms can relate to that? And I remember denying, 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 and then sure enough, just like Peter denied Christ, I was just like, yep, mom, you're an idiot. I don't know. I know better. I've been on this earth for 13 years. I've got it figured out, right? And there were moments where she had to, like, sit me down and just, okay, just bear with me for one second, Sean. Let me, let me maybe ask a question. Let me just give you some insight. Let me give you some perspective. Maybe I know something or, or two about this world. And you picture Paul sitting down as a father figure to the Corinthian church saying, would you just bear with me for one moment? We're going to bring some stuff up. And, and, and I think today it's very fitting because we're, we're going to talk about a distorted gospel. And that might stir something within us that gets us a little uneasy or a little tense. We might clench a bit. And, and can we just take a moment and bear with what Paul wrote and what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today and be open to whatever God wants to say. I'm not God, but as we look at God's word, I believe he wants to get our attention. And before we jump into the rest, I, I, I just I felt it fitting. Let's just stop and pray and open up our heart and our minds for that moment today. Can we do that? Can we bear with Paul for just a few moments together? Let's pray, church, real quick. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you did on the cross for us. We thank you for the life that you give us. We thank you for this moment we have together. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we give you the room. Right now, this is your place, and, and you are the one that speaks truth to us. We surrender our hearts, our minds, our lives. Whatever you want to say, speak loud and clear. Not my words, not not my opinions, not my agendas, God, we come to better understand who you are and the truth of your gospel. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's just bear with Paul for a few moments here. Looking at verse 2 and verse 3, he begins this conversation. It's like he prepared them, and then he's going to hit them right? <laughs> with, this, with this one. He says, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. So he begins with this imagery of betrothal and engagement and marriage. And in ancient times, the father would pledge the bride to be married to a husband. And so in this case, Paul sees himself as the father, the father of the bride. And he's pledging uh, the Corinthian church, that is the bride, to the groom. And who's the groom? I'll give you one guess. Jesus. Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride, right, and they're to be united together. And Paul's contending for them to be united in this uh, marriage metaphor, devoted to each other, exclusivity in a marriage, purity in a marriage, commitment, devotion. That's the kind of relationship that Paul would have for the Corinthian church and Jesus. That's what he aims for, but what he's looking at is kind of this, uh-oh, we've got a runaway bride moment at the altar, right, that classic movie trope whether it's from Runaway Bride or The Graduate or something like that, where all of a sudden at that last moment, right, they're about to have this special moment of unity and, and togetherness, and then some guy comes bursting through and, wait, 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 call it off. 
classic movie trope. Paul is looking at the bride, the Corinthian church, and saying somebody has busted through the door and trying to break up Jesus and the church and the purity of the gospel message, and it's these false teachers are the Dustin Hoffman character trying to come in and break up the wedding, right? Those of you that have seen The Graduate years and years ago, uh, or any of that classic character, these false teachers have come in and said, hey, hey, guys, I know you want to do, you want to be devoted to that kind of teaching that Paul was telling, but I've got something else for you. And let's run away. Let's go explore this. And so Paul is bringing in this idea, and he's saying somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ is going to be corrupted. And he's not upset that they're abandoning Paul. He's bothered that they're abandoning Jesus. They're abandoning the gospel and the love that Christ shows us through the gospel. And then he brings in the imagery of Genesis in verse 3. He says, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, Right? So he brings in the narrative of the garden of Adam and Eve and the serpent back in Genesis. And we see this in, in, in the early chapters of Genesis and how she bought into the crafty messaging of the servant. Very familiar story. Many, even if you haven't gone to church, you know this story. And later uh, in this section, Paul, as he's bringing this imagery of this satanic messaging, actually brings a harsh accusation against the false teachers. Right? If the Corinthians are like Eve being deceived, well, then who is the serpent in his metaphor? The false teachers. And later on in this chapter, we didn't get a chance to read it, but you can go read it on your own. In verse 13 and 14, he says, these people are false apostles. These people that you're listening to, they are false apostles, verse 13 and 14. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Whoa. If I said the podcast you were listening to was satanic, how many of you would cringe? You'd be like, whoa, Sean, back off. Right? If I said, oh, you listen to that, or you watch that, or you, you, you read that, Paul is not being overly dramatic. What he is doing is he's showing them this distorted message and these distorted messengers for who they really are. These people that have gotten into the Christian circles in Corinth are starting to corrupt the messaging, and we're going to talk about what their messaging was, but, but right now Paul's kind of pulling the, uh, the mask off of them. You remember in Scooby-Doo where they'd always unmask someone, right? And in the big reveal, they'd pull off the mask, and it wasn't them. It was, you know, Professor blah, 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 you know, Snickerdoodle, and all of these things. And then they'd pull another mask and do all these. Well, that's what Paul's doing. You see that imagery as you read that verse, and he talks about these false, false uh, teachers Man, these teachers are eloquent. And Paul will talk about that. Man, they're more eloquent than I am, and they, they got better presentations, and all their points alliterate and rhyme and all these things, and they, you know, they tell funny stories and everything. But he says, you're being deceived, Corinthians. They've taken the purity of the gospel, and then they've contaminated it. And he's not trying to just wow them with theatrics when he talks about comparing them to Satan. But when he brings in the imagery of Eve in the garden, what he's doing is showing how important and serious it is when they buy into a distortion of the gospel. That is, that is something that makes him cringe. That makes him upset. That bothers him to his core. When he would call someone a satanic messenger, I don't think that's just flippant. I think that that just shows you how serious and evil and wrong he sees this. And yet, the Corinthians do what? They put up with it. It says in verse 4, you happily... Put up with whatever anyone tells you. 
They give these teachers their focus, their time. Uh, they give them a, a chance to share the validity of their argument. They believe whatever they hear. Well, I read it on the internet, so it must be true. I got it in an email forwarded to me. It must be true. I read it on Facebook. It has to be true. They vet their materials so much. But that's what happened in the Corinthian church. Paul's away, and all these people, these influencers coming in, and these Corinthian Christians are saying, well, it must be true. It sounds great. It makes me feel good. It works. So it must be true. Paul is calling them gullible without saying, hey, you gullible fools, stop it. But he's saying you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you simply because you heard it, read it, got it forwarded to you, your friends are talking about it, and it feels good. Does that sound like any other culture beyond just the Corinthians? Yeah. And what have they bought into? A distorted gospel. A contaminated gospel gospel. And this is where we're going to land and spend a bunch of time today, a bunch of time. We're going to spend the next moments together in verse 4. You put up with anything that they say, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one I preach, than the one we preach, excuse me, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, and a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. There's a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit, and yet they've bought into it, and didn't even notice. And this is where we circle back to the game we just played with moms. Some of you were watching that game thinking, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? But I'm going to bring it back, because how many of us watched those shows, they switched characters, and those producers just expected us to not notice a new Aunt Viv, a new Darren, a new Hulk, and they just expect us to just buy into it and believe it. The old switcheroo is taking place. And that's what's happened in the Corinthian church. They've switched out the gospel of Jesus with a different, distorted, manipulated, contaminated gospel. And the gospel's been recast. And the Corinthian church is like, yeah, sure, well, whatever, that's fine. There must be a reason for this. And so Paul's trying to say, those are two different vivs. This is two different Jesuses. Jesus, Jesus, I? I don't know. What's the plural of Jesus? Two different gospels, two different spirits. A switch has happened and they didn't even notice. And so when Paul is talking about the gospel, what is the gospel? What is the OG, right? What is the original gospel? When he's referring to it, and this is what we're going we're gonna to take a moment to talk together, and this is where I get to pull out the old handy-dandy whiteboard, but I want us to talk for a moment about what is the gospel when we talk about the gospel message, and think for a second, how would you describe it? What words come to mind when you think of the gospel? The gospel message is a message of Jesus being the Son of God coming to earth, dying on the cross for our sins, offering us forgiveness, restoration. As our memory verse says, offering us a message of reconciliation between humanity and God. This is the gospel. But what words would you use to describe the gospel? And this is where you get to be Pentecostal. You can yell it out from your seat. Yell out the words that you would use. If somebody said, describe the gospel, I don't want narrative, I want single words, right? So, for example, you might yell out, love, truth, 
grace. How would you describe the gospel? What other words? Good news. Hope. Undeserved. Irved. Unbelievable. You can translate the rest of that. Forgiveness. Forgive. Restore. Unconditional. Unconditional. What about inclusive? The gospel's for everyone. See, when we talk about the OG, right? That's a cool term. I grew up in SeaTac. It means original gangster. But the original gospel, I grew up in the hood, everybody. Actually, it was like 10 minutes from SeaTac in the Des Moines retirement community. But nobody, you know, nobody knows that. The gospel, the gospel message is one of love and uh, grace and hope and restoration Sacrifice, joy, weakness. People saw it as a sign of weakness, but you know what? It's also surrender. Jesus gave his life for us. And so we see these attributes, these characteristics. Humility is another one that comes to mind, right? That is the gospel message that Paul is pointing them towards. When we talk about the goodness of the gospel, like this was the original. This was who was cast in the original series. (laughs) But they have experienced a switch, a change, a recasting of it. And the Corinthian church has bought into a different gospel. And so some of the gospel messages that they had bought into was an immaterial gospel. That there was this gospel message that meant that, well, in Greek philosophy, they rejected the physical. So Jesus wasn't maybe fully human. He was fully God, and he was more of this celestial being, but he wasn't fully man. Or we reject the idea in this immaterial gospel that they rejected the goodness of physical creation and refused to believe in a bodily resurrection, and the idea that God would raise his son from the dead, well, that didn't really, really happen because he was just a celestial God being. Paul's going to talk about that. We're going to talk about it in the summertime when we talk about the need for the resurrection. Without the resurrection, all of this is nothing. Like, we should just stop meeting if there's no resurrection. But they were buying into this immaterial gospel. They were buying into a legalistic gospel because there were Christians infiltrating their circles saying, if you don't obey the Old Testament scriptures, those are God's scriptures, and if you don't obey those to perfection, well, then God won't love you. And you're not welcome into God's family. So they've created this legalistic gospel that said you got to do this and do that and do this and do that and follow all these policies and that's how you're going to get close to God. They created this prosperity gospel. People bought into a gospel that said, you know what? Jesus came to bless us and so we are not going to be poor in Jesus. If I love Jesus, I'm going to be blessed. 
because he's going to open up, as Malachi said, he's going to open up, or was it Micah? One of the Old Testament prophets said he's going to open up the windows of the storehouse of heaven and pour out the blessing upon me. And so they had this belief in the Corinthian church that was infiltrating them with this distorted gospel that said, if God loves us, if God is for us, he's going to bless us and I'm going to be wealthy, which countered Paul's gospel because Paul was poor. And so the people infiltrating these circles were able to say, well, Paul's not really blessed. God, God doesn't love Paul because he doesn't have anything. But part of that prosperity gospel is not just wealth, but it was also health and this idea that, well, if Christ suffered, then no longer is humanity going to suffer. All of suffering was summed up in Jesus dying on the cross, so we don't have to suffer anymore, right? And so if I'm suffering, well, I must be against God, and, and if God is for me, then I'm never going to suffer in this world again. And so they created these prosperity gospels of health and wealth, and, and these were the manipulations. These were the distortions that people were buying into at that time. Now the question for you that I want to talk about is what are the distorted gospels that we see today? What different Jesus, Jesuses, what different spirits, what different gospels have we allowed to infiltrate our belief system? What contaminations of truth have we looked at and said, yep, that sounds good, I'll take some of that? And this is where, for some of us, it's, we're going to get a little uncomfortable. Because when we think about this idea of us buying into a blank gospel, some other, you know, we have no problem that the Corinthians bought into a prosperity gospel. That was thousands of years ago. Of course they did. An immaterial gospel, a prosperity gospel, a legalistic gospel. I think we can still buy into all of those, don't you? Yes, we see that in our culture. We see aspects of a legalistic gospel in our culture. Legalistic. We see prosperity. Yep. I haven't had to take a spelling bee in a while, so forgive me. We see those gospels still at work in our culture, but what other gospels do we see? We could see a poverty gospel. There have been books and books and podcasts and podcasts and leaders that said, well, if God doesn't want me to be rich, maybe he wants me to be broke. And true godliness means I got nothing. You want to be like Jesus? Have nothing. Sell it all. Go be poor. Go live in the mud. And it's just swinging that pendulum wing, if you, or that pendulum swing to the other extreme. If you want to be holy, well, you better be broke. What other distortions? And I want you to think about it. I've got, I've got some that I was thinking about this week and praying about, but I'm sure we could all fill in the blank, and we may not get to everybody's blank answer, Right? But there's, there's all kinds of different distortions of the gospel that we can buy into. Uh, a happy gospel. God wants me to be happy. And if I'm not happy, it must not be godly. And so we as Christians screw in our smiles and present highlight reel that everything is all put together and all perfect and all honky-dory. Because i got to believe that Jesus came to make me happy. Or we buy into an American gospel. Where God loves America. The end. 
where it's God and country and it's patriotism and faith and they are so linked together that we've created this Americanized gospel that says we are the chosen and everyone outside of that is secondary. We could believe in a political gospel where I have my values, I have my beliefs, I have my theology, and I am going to legislate that faith through my government. And I'm going to use my government to my advantage for my political purposes and my faith purposes, and the two are so linked together that it becomes a political gospel. It could be a social issues gospel. See, we're getting uncomfortable here. Because I know the text message thread's probably blowing up right now. But what about blank? That's okay. But a social issues gospel puts the issue as the primary thing. You know what? If I'm a Christian, then I really care about abortion. I really care about people's rights, racial injustice, black lives matter, blue lives matter, whatever lives matter. We're going to make that the issue. The environment matters. If I'm a Christian, then I better believe in taking care of the earth. So I'm going to create this earth-conscious gospel, right? Whatever the social issue is, we make that the primary part and focus of our gospel. A self-help gospel. Remember when we used to have Christian bookstores? For those that don't know, there used to be bookstores with Christian books. And that was it. And there would be a couple shelves of Bibles and a couple shelves with how to read your Bible and then shelves of how to be a better person for Jesus. It was amazing. And then they had like Christian mints. I never understood that part, but some of you remember those. But it is very easy to adopt psychology practices and health practices and improvement practices and adapt those into the gospel. And we will use gospel principles to achieve a better physical, emotional, psychological health. Health, excuse me. And so we see workshops and curriculums on losing weight and loving Jesus. And we create this self-help gospel. That Jesus is going to get rid of all my problems all my flaws, all the things I'm insecure about. And we're going to get through that. What about a masculine gospel? Anybody see that in our culture? That there is a, a time in which the church looked very feminine, and we would sing these love songs to Jesus. Right? And, and my, my age group grew up like, is that a love song to my girlfriend or is that a love song to Jesus? I don't know the difference. And we would see flowers and kind of this Martha Stewart church look. That's what it is. And so that pendulum swung to a masculine gospel to where we need to be tough and men need to rise up. And I am all for men and their faith but it got to a point where it was combating a femininity and it became this ultra male, like machismo. Jesus was a warrior and he could bench press and he had a gun and he drove a pickup. It became this idea of like fight, 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 fight kind of gospel message that came across. This masculinity that was so extreme to a point and you're trying to put Jesus into this masculine form. 
all kinds of different gospels that we can hear and see, and I'm sure you've got one blank answer that I don't have yet. That's okay. We're not going to hit all of them. But how, here's the real question. How do we know when we're buying into that that that's not true? Because it sounds right to us, doesn't it? It feels right to us. Everybody else seems to think it's the popular version. I'm familiar with it. I've heard it for decades. I've seen it that way. I grew up in a church that thought that way and talked that way and believed that way. How do we discover truth, this truth, the pure gospel that Paul is pointing us to, and not a distorted truth? How do we get back to this? We talked last week about the importance of the Holy Spirit being the one that reveals truth to us. The idea that the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals truth uh, in its purity internally through prayer, solitude, reflection, quiet time. The Holy Spirit will speak to each and every one of you personally. The Holy Spirit speaks through his word, right? As you're reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and you will read things in there that will challenge these perspectives, and cause an uneasiness. Well, I believe this, but I'm reading what? The Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention through those scriptures and get our attention through that prayer time, get our attention externally, internally, and also interpersonally. We talked about that, the, how the Holy Spirit will speak to us through community and through conversation and through other people, right? But the Holy Spirit is trying to exude this gift in us, which is called discernment. Very spiritual, churchy word. We don't hear a lot outside of the church, but the Holy Spirit wants to allow us to have a discernment, the ability to distinguish that's true, that's not. To discern and understand the difference between truth and something that sounds palatable and popular and comfortable, but is a distortion. My guess is when we digest the gospel message for so long, we don't take time to really analyze and put it before the Lord and say, God, is this really of you? Or is this just of me? Is this of my culture? And as we bring our gospel before the, the Holy Spirit in a time of prayer, in a time of reading scripture, in a time of conversation, can we look at the message and look for an alignment of the message, right? We want to be honest and look at that gospel. Whatever one you align with, Whatever one you believe in, whatever one you hold dear, whatever one you need to defend to me right now. How about that? If you feel a need to defend one of these, I don't mean to be confrontational. I just mean, let's be honest. How does the gospel message that we believe in line up with the Jesus we read about? Look at the message and see how it aligns there. How does it line up with his teaching, his sacrifice, his ministry? How consistent is that message that we believe in with the message of the early church in Acts and in the church letters? How can I believe, for, let me give you some examples. How can I believe in a gospel that would say that there is a superior race? That God has a chosen race in this world that he loves more. And that where they come from and the color of their skin somehow makes them superior and more apt to be loved by God when Jesus... They go into all nations and all cultures and tell people about them. When Paul said there is no longer slave or free or barbarian or uh, rich 
or poor. There's no man or woman. There's no Jew or Gentile. He said, we're all one in Christ. How do I read that and say, but God loves me because I'm white? Now, there's an extremeness to that that I'm sure no one in the room would say, yeah, Sean, let me fight you on that one. How can I believe in a distortion of a prosperity gospel that says it's all about health and wealth when the Beatitudes take that and flip it upside down and say, blessed are the poor, blessed are the suffering, blessed are the persecuted? How, do, how, how does that work? We have to look at the alignment of what we believe in and see, does what I believe in really line up with the Jesus that I read about? His teachings. What he says and what he did and his sacrifice, does it line up with the words that we just described here? Do I see truth? Do I see surrender? Do I see grace? Do I see sacrifice? Do I see humility? In those distortions. We have to look at the alignment in that. And if we feel like, man, John, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I align with that. That's what, we can't identify the misalignment if we're not spending time with Jesus. If we're not in his word, and I put my Bible down here, but if I'm not spending time looking at the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus, how will I know if he misaligns from what I've believed in? Do we allow the gospel? Another thing is the priority of it, not just the alignment of it. Do I allow the gospel to be circumvented by one of these things? You know, that's the thing with like a social issues gospel is the issue becomes primary. It is all about that issue. And that issue is what I fight for and what I will scream about and what I will yell for and what I will contend for. And whether or not they believe in Jesus, well, at least I got what I wanted. And they see the world and, and they hear it the way I hear it. It circumvents the value and importance and priority of the gospel. And, and here's, a, here's a way we can begin to evaluate that. Does my view of the issue affect my gospel? Or does my gospel affect my view of the issue? I know it's a tongue twister, but think about it. Take an issue that you hold near and dear to your heart. The environment, racial injustice, rights, abortion. Take that issue. Does your view of that influence your view of the gospel? Or does your view of the gospel affect your view of that issue? Because that's what Paul's trying to say. The gospel in its purest form needs to be affecting the way we see our world and engage with our world and treat our world and contend in our world. But a lot of times when we have a social issue gospel, or we have a political gospel, or an Americanized gospel, or a national gospel, or something of that nature, or a masculine gospel, we will circumvent the purity of what God came to do. Another question you could be asking yourself is your as we, and I'm asking these things or, or presenting these things is when you're praying about this, because I think we all need to be, is the gospel that I believe in truly the gospel? Does it align with Jesus? Is that priority uh, in my life, right? Is it essential here? 
is the message that we've believed in timeless? Could it be preached at any point in history? How could you preach a gospel that says America is the best 400 years ago? Is the message able to be translated to any culture that we believe in? Could you travel overseas and share that gospel? Because this gospel here, this will go. This will travel through time and space and culture. This, this can go anywhere. These are contingent on circumstance and location and budget and money and people and culture and time. How do I preach a masculine gospel? Here's my point. How would I preach a masculine gospel that says God wants you to fight when I've got people in our church that are in abusive relationships? It's not timeless. It's not for everyone at that point. If I'm preaching a gospel that says you need to fight and have this machismo, how does that translate to people in our church that have been hurt by somebody that lived that and is in an abusive history? How would I preach a gospel that God loves a certain person based on the color of their skin and then go overseas into another country? How would I preach a gospel that says God only wants me to be happy and be problem-free and go into a part of the world that's suffering right now? How do I go and bring a message of Jesus just wants you to have a terrible life and wants you to suffer, right? How would I preach that? Like, that's an easy one to also be distorted in. Well, if God doesn't want prosperity, he wants us to be poor and miserable and, whor- you know, go, go through a terrible time. That must be godliness. And yet, it misaligns with the gospel that says, Jesus healed, Jesus provided. Jesus turned my mourning into dancing. Jesus restores. The gospel message that we're talking about here, I believe, in its purest form, is for anyone, at any time, in any place. The gospel that I'm willing to die for, willing to teach my kids, and will fight for, contend for, I don't necessarily should use the word fight as I talk about some of these things, the gospel that I will preach is a gospel message that should be for anyone, at any time, at any place. And it is really easy to poke holes in people's gospel that I can disagree with. It's really hard to do that when it's one that I hold valuable or I agree with. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to stop for a moment or conclude our time for a moment, and we're going to just come before the Holy Spirit with open hands and say, Holy Spirit, I've been holding on to this, and if I'm wrong, teach me. Could we be wrong? Could I be wrong on what I believe? Could I have misunderstood something along the way? Could I have bought into a warped gospel at some point? And what we're not going to do is poke holes in everybody else's gospel today. But what I want us to do in a time of prayer to conclude our time is do what Jesus said. Look at the plank in our own eye, not the speck in our brother's eye. And so we're not going to sit here 
and poke holes in everybody's gospel, and what about this, Sean, and what about that, Sean, and what about this, and what about that? But no, we're going to take for a moment, and I want you to just come before the Lord. Tyler's going to play some music here, but I want you to just have a prayer time where you can just come before the Holy Spirit, the revealer of truth, the spirit of truth, and say, Holy Spirit, I've been clinging to a warped gospel, a distorted gospel. Loosen my grip and show me the truth for what it is. Begin a journey of saying, God, I want to come to you for the source of truth. Because I don't want to build, I don't know about you, I don't want to build my life on a gospel that's going to crumble based on circumstance. I don't want to build my life on a gospel that's a fad or a trend. Circumstantial. I want to build my life on the pure gospel of Jesus. So can we just go with it right now in this attitude of prayer? Just close your eyes. That helps you not be distracted by what's going on. And begin to just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, to speak to your mind. And maybe he begins to reveal a distortion, a compromise, a bias, a prejudice, a value, a perspective that we have allowed to contaminate the gospel. And I am not standing up here as perfect, everybody. I'm standing up here as somebody who has continued to want to journey down this path and wants to journey with you. As Paul said, would we just bear with him for a moment? Can we bear with the Holy Spirit for a moment to speak to our hearts? Let's just stay in this moment together. Allow for the Holy Spirit. I believe he can speak right there to you. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.